Since we were still at Gotham, we decided to take a more direct approach when learning about Batman and Robin. We figured the person who would have the most information would be Jim Gordon, since he spent the most time with them. Once we made our way to his office in the Gotham City Police Department, we discussed old cases and new villains. What we didn't expect him to mention was that someone else might have more information for us. He suggested we see Bruce Wayne. Hi, my name is John. And I'm hungry. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. And we're the DC <laughs> Detectives, and it's our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. Uh, wow, more Batman. You guys really like the Batman episodes. It's cool. Uh, a lot of listens for those. It's kind of nice. So we're going to do more, because we're still not done with the Cape Crusader. And, and we still won't be done. And we still won't be done. we got another episode of this. And then we're going to... 11? Uh, 9 through 11. 9 through 11. Yeah. yeah. Um, we're going to do more, obviously, of all of these characters, once we continue to... There is no escape. The Silver Age, yeah. <laughs> Except maybe the Sandman. Hmm. Maybe we'll end up reading the old game in Sandman and do some episodes on that. Just, just so be down. Just for the, the tie-ins. I, I'm thinking yeah. of doing some of that just at, at a later date for the, the variety. Um, because we will at some point get tired of doing just the continuity, mm -hmm. but I do feel that some people would be interested in like connecting the dots over the years. However, it will behoove us to do uh, some interclary episodes that are little palate cleansers. So we're going to continue with our Batman Chronicles volumes 6 through 8. And we're going to start with volume 6, which has World's Finest... 5 through 6, Detective Comics 62 through 65, and Batman 1011. This is all in 1942. Uh, small note before we actually begin, we forgot to mention this last time. The Bat Signal finally appears mm -hmm. in the last, uh, I think it's volume 5, which is 1941 and 42. But the Bat Signal has also showed up, so we're, we're pretty much full Batman at this point. It's just what flavor. That's a good way to put it, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a... What is this flavor of Batman, though? Is it like uh, when you go to ice cream and they've got, like, bubblegum and it's not just, like, it's not that bubblegum flavor. It's, like, the ice cream bubblegum flavor, so it's just kind of a little bit weird but distinctly, like, festive. I, I would say that this is actually French vanilla. This is really? This is the barest bones ice cream with a little bit of flair to it. Um, I would say that 60s Batman is Rainbow Sherbert. Okay. Like it's I, I it's, feel like... it's different. Like I would say they're different. They're different real flavors, but vanilla is the base flavor of ice cream, and this is the base flavor of Batman because it's with got all sprinkles. The... Yeah, like French you... vanilla with sprinkles. I yeah. agree with. Like the the sprinkles that you think are chocolate, but they're just sugar sprinkles. But they are colored like chocolate sprinkles, like the, the little pills. Yeah, the 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 Jimmies. I believe they're they referred the to what uh, colloquially. <laughs> yeah, Jimmies. If you're from the East Coast, I I got you there. Um, yeah, I go to Carvel. What about it? Uh, yeah, but they're just. Like, they're, they're sugar sprinkles, but they color them to look like chocolate because they're mm -hmm. trying to make you think that you're putting chocolate on your ice cream. And you're like, nah, it's just not sugar. But yeah, I, I, I qualified this Batman as, as vanilla Batman because it has, it has Batman, Robin, Villains, Gotham, Gordon, Bat-Signal, Batmobile, Bat-Plane. It's got everything that makes a Batman. It's just not flavorful Batman. You know, um, when, we, when we get to the other versions of Batman, it's like, yeah, you make, to make color, you know, to make flavored ice cream, you make essentially vanilla and then you add flavor to it. You add chocolate to it or you add whatever. It's That's how ice cream is made. Um, I would say 60s Batman is going to be like rainbow sherbet. It's it's ice cream 
but it's way out there and it's doing something different and it's more intense and it's more in your face and it's supposed to be trying to differentiate itself from vanilla the animated series is peanut butter uh, and chocolate because it's it's dark, but it's got those little bits of sweetness. Yeah, like moose tracks or something like that. What? Like you ever had moose tracks ice cream? It's it's essentially um, it's vanilla ice cream with like a, a like a vein of fudge that goes through it, and okay, like little yeah, yeah. and like little uh, peanut butter drops in it or something like yeah. that. Like yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's the animated series is for kids, so mm-hmm. things that make kids want to eat more ice cream is going to be chocolate and peanut butter on your vanilla. Like, it's, it's like, yeah, what can we do to vanilla? Just make it even tastier. So, um, you know, Baskin-Robbins aside, <laughs> we're going to move forward with Volume 6. Uh, yeah, you get more bad signal. Joker shows up a lot more. This is more to uh, Matt's point from the previous episode that Joker does get to be a lot more fatalistic and theatric. Uh, he starts really harping on the Batman a lot. Joanne, I know you already started the timer, but we're working. And it, Joker becomes more obsessed with Batman. There seems to be a lot more dependency or delaying of killing Batman. You start to see that old trope of the villain deliberately not killing the hero because he wants to kill him in a more extravagant fashion where it's not the right time. And it feels especially good for Joker. Like, we see this with other villains throughout, but with Joker especially, it, there, I, I'm trying to remember. I, I, I remember a scene where it's the... I could do this. And you can almost see yeah. the ma- hear the mania in his voice. I could do this. It could be done right now. Ah, who am I kidding? I love this game. Yeah, it's it's he's very much toying with Batman at this point. Not because he wants to mess with him, but so much so that he just enjoys the cat and mouse game. That's that's really the only reason he's he's doing this with Batman. Um because he because there's no challenge from the cops. Also apologies for blowing out that line right <laughs> it's there. It's totally fine. <laughs> we'll edit it out. Patreon. Um he also does go law-abiding for an episode just to mess with Batman. And that's kind of neat. Ah, oh, I, I have up. notes about that. I have notes about that. I screwed oh, it up. Yeah. I said episode. I buy the drinks. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's just kind of what we kind of see in this volume. Batman and Robin stumble onto the set of a dinosaur movie. So it's basically a weird 1930s version of like um, Jurassic Park, kind of. And the actors kind of feel like they're going to get upstaged by Batman and Robin. They almost like try to take them out. It's really weird and kind of unnecessary. Um... They go to a frontier town and fight off some bandits. Like, before with the ghost gang, it was kind of uh, ambiguous what kind of town this was. And then they go to this other town, and it's legit like an old mining town where these people are at least 100 years behind, even in 1930s terms. (laughs) It is Frontiersville, USA. It's super weird. I don't know what, like, it's the town that time and industry forgot. It's really weird. Uh, there is a gentleman thief character who's not really important, but I thought it was very funny that this guy who is kind of, he escapes Europe to come to America and like, he does the the Dread Pirate Roberts thing from Princess Bride where he gives Batman a sword even though he's got a sword because he's like, I don't want to kill you when you're on arms. It's, it's kind of a funny little mm-hmm. cute story. Uh, Robin gets, starts to make the first joke about himself being a bird. And that is so. When was that? Because you mentioned that. So that's Batman number eleven, which is in the story where the Penguin returns. By the way, doing a, a bit with other villains who have bird-themed nicknames. Okay, so that's something I'm wondering if because the the one that I noticed was also in a Penguin story. I wonder if it's references to like the penguin's bird theme or if it's like the organic growth of his own bird specifically robin says if this if i'm not mistaken i'm gonna find the panel so the story is referred to as four birds of a feather um 
It's Bill Finger, if I'm not. Yeah, it's Bill Finger. Edmund Hamilton didn't write this one. Yeah, we got we, more new writers, guys. Like, a lot more new writers. The line specifically is, Oh, yeah, well, what about me? I'm a bird, too. You people seem to forget that I'm a robin. Fair enough. So, Bill Finger has now begun the trend to move away from, you know, Robin of Loxley to Robin the Bird, which fits more with the bat motif of animals. And they begin to do the a Batman and a Robin uh, jokes a little bit more. So that's interesting. So I don't know. It took 10 issues of Batman for that to happen. And I want to say, what, like four years <laughs> before they dunked Sounds the Robin right, Hood thing? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. It took them, took them a few years. And, and to be fair, like they didn't, well, no, they did bring it back a couple times, uh, but not a ton. Like it feels yeah. like that's a bit of theming that lies fallow. Yeah, for a while. he doesn't. He doesn't start doing the birdering stuff, but it's very, very definitely they have made a joke about him being a bird, and they make more jokes about him being a bird. Especially since the text that announces Robin at the start of some of these issues is no longer flowing medieval script. That's true. Yeah, they have they have started to shy away from that weird uh, illuminated te- manuscript. How would you text. even? How, what would be like the voice font for that? Robin, maybe. Um, yeah, like and Robin the boy wonder. It's Ooh. it's very Ooh, a little bit of Sunday Sunday Sunday, yeah. except more like carnival, not carnival, I guess, but like uh, town crier. Yeah, it's medieval times. It's, <laughs> it's the Herald of medieval times. It's that guy. It's a little bit a little bit carnival barker, a little bit monster truck man. And this side of the arena is for the blue Batman. Yeah, it's 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 not quite Michael Cole from WWE, but it's 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 uh maybe a little bit of JR. Hmm. By God, said not Southern. <laughs> uh, um, also, a very important note in Volume Six, we have Catwoman returning, and we get the first mention of Catwoman's real name. Now, this is going to be a thing that I'm going to bring up again in another volume. In Volumes 1 and 2, I looked at my notes, and we also looked at Volume 1. I can't find Volume 2, but we're going to have to find it. Batman and Catwoman never reference Catwoman's real name. Now, if Dr. Internet lies to you, Dr. Internet will tell you the first appearance of Selina Kyle is in Batman number 1, which is the first appearance of Catwoman, where she is referred to as the Cat. That is incorrect, because I looked at that issue. Nowhere do they say the word Selina Kyle. The first mention, to my recollection, according to my notes, according to what we have read... The first time that Catwoman is given a name, it is Marguerite Tone. Fully prepared to say it's an alias? Not a, like, not a problem. I will say it's an alias because it's something that's going to come up later in this episode when I'm doing my summary. Mm-hmm. So we're going to move to Volume 7, which is also 1942, which has Detective Comics 66 through 70, Batman 12 through 17, and World's Finest number 7. We have the first appearance of Two-Face, who is Harvey Kent, which I'm sure that's why they changed it, because Kent... Clark Kent, we'll just change the first letter into Dent. We're going to be good. Harvey Kent appears as Two-Face. He is a DA. Uh, It is very clearly the same story of Batman uh, knocking acid away from a guy in court, and the acid kind of splashes onto Harvey. Bill Finger makes him. Go figure. You know, Bill Finger's pretty much, you know, one or whatever. It's like seven for seven as far as villains are created. We see the Batcave sort of tunnel diagrammed in this volume which is kind of like the weird sort of uh i gotta i gotta tell you what what these guys have because it's actually pretty funny like the actual layout of the i want to call it yeah what did we call it the bat larder 
<laughs> the, the bat basement. If we if we called it that, I'm disavowing it immediately. The, well, we we did say the bat larder. Right. I don't remember if we we decided that that's what we were going to call it. Here we go. Uh, like the bat barn. Yeah, the bat barn because it it does lead out to a barn. So they have the secret laboratory in Wayne Manor, which is just the Wayne home, which looks like a nice I want to say like Art Deco ranch house, one two stories maybe. Yeah, it doesn't look like a true menorah. Yeah, it is not a, uh, a manor home. Uh, we have the secret elevator that leads down from the Wayne home out of the secret laboratory, which then goes into a repair and workshop. Batmobile's garage. There are multiple Batmobiles. The Bat Planes hangar. Uh, we forgot to mention that in, I think, the last episode, Robin's birthday, he gets his own Batplane, which That's is kind right, of neat. Yeah. So there's two Batplanes in the Batplane hangar, one for Batman, one for Robin. The bat plane, like, chute that they kind of fly out of that's pointed up towards the sky. An old disguised barn. And a uh, winch to pull the bat planes up through the tunnel. So that's, like, the most schematic I've ever seen for any of the bat roost. You know, and that's kind of cool. We're going to put a picture of it. Certainly thus far. Yeah, we're going to put a picture of about it because it's it's very interesting. Um, So we see that there's a a circus story. Hooray. Circuses. (laughs) Nothing ever happens. Nothing ever good happens at a circus. Uh, A daredevil type of person, kind of like an evil Knievel guy, is being threatened by mobsters and Batman ends up uh, helping him out. We see Batman and Robin's first gear change to specifically bat gear, but it's colored for the environment that they are in. They have Arctic wear. In the North Pole story, where they fight these guys who dress up like snowmen and rob people in the North Pole for furs, they like they straight up dress in all white versions of their of their of their costume, which is stupid because Robin's hair is white, and I'm like, you didn't dye your hair, Robin. You should as entertaining as it would be, should have put a hood on. But bottom line, they're all white, but it's the same outfit, just all white. And I was like, that's the first time we've ever seen like a costume change for any of these characters. That is like for a tactical advantage which i thought was really neat uh penguin returns so does the joker batman gets rid of robin in a storyline where he mm-hmm. where commissioner gordon tells him that there was a threat put on robin's life where these bad guys were saying we will specifically target robin if batman attacks us and we will kill robin if you come after us so batman kind of does the whole get out of here i don't need you anymore and, and robin has like a bad two days before he ends up just stalking batman and helping him again and being the thing that saves batman's life and going like i'm sorry i did it because i didn't want you to get hurt it's very tender there is also the first visual of batman's batman's deputy badge which is literally just a diamond. Oh, I didn't en- look at it closely. It's a diamond encrusted bat symbol. <laughs> it's the stupidest, most ostentatious. And he, he uses it as a plot point, so you know it's a diamond encrusted thing because he cuts something with it. And they're like using his diamond encrusted badge, and I was like, that is the stupidest I thing I ever. Over that, I was like, you telling me in the 1940s they made him a diamond encrusted thing? No, no, I'm sure they like. You know what? He bedazzled it. Yeah. It's the Wayne family jewels, and he was just like, mm, "These aren't doing anything for anybody. Like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna propose to Linda Page. I'm just put this crap on my fucking bat badge." What, what if you donated it to charity, Mister Wayne? Shut up, Dick Grayson, because there's still no Alfred. Uh, volume eight, 1942 to 1943. Happy New Year, Batman number fourteen through fifteen. Detective Comics seventy-one through seventy-four. World's finest number eight. There's a murder mystery of all these different detectives who all meet up to sort of 
honor this detective that they all know and they all look up to batman and robin are of course invited and we see kind of this weird interesting camaraderie that you never see with batman and like non-superhero detectives which i thought was kind of fun batman had friends it was cool it was it was neat batman had friends and i'm like look at you being like wesley dodds and having friends off screen you son of a bitch i'm not that's i i feel like they were kind of friendly i don't know that they were they're work friends they're work friends they're water cooler buddies you know like if he was in their town he would work with them but he doesn't write to them because they only know him as batman Mm -hmm. you know like that's it's one of those things like he doesn't send emails to them as Batman. oh i have i have notes about mail as well later on excellent um there's an old pharmacy guy story it's just this guy who helps out the entire town as in his pharmacy and these bad guys set up shop there as a racket and batman and robin basically renovate it after they tear apart beating up the bad guys penguin of course returns again joker does like this daily crime spree thing to just screw with batman he's like i'm gonna commit a crime every day and if you don't catch me you're gonna look real stupid and sure enough he does uh another napoleon dude bat this batman is three for three for guys that look like napoleon who have napoleon complexes we had the guy with the uh red blimps in our first our first episode i believe that sounds right and then we had the uh remember coup 101 where he has to get the entire town to get rid of that gangster who was set up in like an old civil war fort that's a guy who who like looked and acted like napoleon and we have this other guy who's just a short man who for one scene you see him standing next to a picture of napoleon and they they like kind of get rid of that um jack schiff who has now taken a turn at writing a catwoman story refers to catwoman as elva Barr. so here's where my alternate uh you know fake name theory comes into play i'll get into that after the the rest of the summary uh scarecrow comes back doing a weird sort of chalkboard related crime spree thing everybody you will fear three letter words yeah it's really everyone seems to be doing the riddler's gimmick yeah like that's it's really weird i i am wondering and the waiting leaving clues absolutely yeah, i'm really waiting for the moment where they're all just like let's just take these things out of these characters let them be their own thing and just make a character who does this specific thing because batman even talks about the joker at one point during the summary as a, as a man who's incredibly vain and needs to leave clues because he wants to be chased i'm like that's the riddler that's not the joker <laughs> the joker wants to be extravagant and wants to trap you with his crazy death traps the riddler has a psychological pathological need to to be the best because he's a narcissist and he wants you to know that he's committing these crimes because he wants to laud it in your face that he's smarter than you so it was just i was like mm, okay we're like we're so close to the riddler and riddler's one of my favorite batman villains and i'm just like i want i want the riddler really? yeah i didn't know that i really like the riddler hmm. um and the first appearance uh from of tweedledee and tweedledum these are the first bad guys not created by bill finger they're created by don cameron and Tweedledee and Tweedledum are two cousins who look almost identical and the reason they call themselves Tweedledee and Tweedledum is there is an Alice in Wonderland or a kind of masked ball party that happens at their estate where they draw in a bunch of people and then they steal from them they look like Tweedledee and Tweedledum from Through the Looking Glass it's it's just how they look and I would like to make an argument that these are the guys who, who have the first themed henchmen so everyone else like you know the joker has henchmen we see in the cartoon series they're all like guys dressed like clowns they have clown names Mm -hmm. uh penguin has guys who are like in arctic wear or they have like you know bird things or whatever like black mask has people who rip their faces off yeah like you've got um themed henchmen especially specifically for those of you who played the arkham games you see the themed henchmen pretty much all over the place especially in arkham city two-face has guys that have like 
black and white masks on or half-colored clothes. The penguin has the guys in the polar fleece gear that have a big penguin spray painted on the back of them. Like, there's themed villains. Currently in the comics, Joker's just running around with regular mobsters. Same thing with Penguin. Same thing with Two-Face. Uh, Catwoman's crew is just a bunch of thugs. Tweedledee and Tweedledum, in their masked ball, have two guys dressed like the Mad Hatter and the March Hare, which both obviously or apparently look like rabbits, except the Mad Hatter is a guy, is a rabbit with a top hat on and the March Hare is the March Hare. And they are doing crime in these costumes. And that is the mm. first time I've ever seen guys doing crime in costume that wasn't like a, f a, a fake uniform, like a fake cop uniform or a fake army uniform. They're doing it in a themed costume in theme with their boss. I think that's the key thing is we're at a... We're at the center of a Venn diagram where right. this is, they are explicitly wearing it as part of this costume party so that it's not really suspicious. However, it's distinctly not a uniform. Right. So it, and it is themed according to a theme that is not just that, um, it, they aren't just Tweedledee and Tweedledum for that specific uh, party? event. Yeah. It's like, no, that's who they are. It's their shtick. Yeah. And, and yeah, so it's And we'll 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 graduate from that into like full time always wearing the costume yeah. regardless of whether it's a masquerade or yeah. such. But yeah, I think you're absolutely right and on I, this. I just thought it was really neat because of course later there are guys who come into the party to fight Batman and Robin once they crash it who are not dressed like Alice in Wonderland characters. But that, I just thought that was interesting. It was the first time we've ever seen guys like commit crimes not in like normal clothes. Mm -hmm. even, even like when they did the clown outfits for some of the circus episodes uh, that we've done in the past, they were guys dressed like circus clowns because they were circus clowns or they were pretending to be circus clowns so that they could commit jobs in the towns that they're being, that they're in with the circus. So it wasn't like that was their, their gimmick. It was just, this is, this is ideal for what we're doing as opposed to our bosses seem to have some weird Alice in Wonderland fetish. I guess we should too. It's, it's in the manual. So, I just thought that was neat. No body count. You're right. There's no body count in this. There is a story in which Batman does kill some Nazis. However, those are predictions from two professors that are saying this is one version of America that could happen if the Third Reich wins, and this is another version of America if the Allies win. And I was like, I don't count that because that's a dream sequence slash mm -hmm. in, in fiction fiction. Um, also, we see Batman straight fighting like swastika wearing nazis so batman has fought nazis wonder woman has fought nazis green lantern has fought nazis don't really recall if flash has uh i would say anybody i, I don't I, even no, know if we got that far anybody in the jsa has fought nazis probably because they did fight those third those fifth columnists and mm -hmm. i'm basically labeling those as nazis yeah um so anybody in the jsa has i don't think superman has um i feel like he has one moment uh i have Alright, so I did some digging, and there's at least one story with Nazis. The one where Metropolis gets fake invaded. Mm, you're right. So yes, he has fought Nazis. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. That might be it, because that is, that's that is, it through, like, volume 10. Yeah, that is that is the only instance in which Superman has fought Nazis. Um, he has fought them on the covers of Action Comics and Superman, but he has never actually fought, fought Nazis like the other characters have. So that's going to do it for the summary. So back to my, my Catwoman theory. I think Marguerite Tone and Elva Barr are aliases that she uses to get these other jobs. Because Marguerite Tone and Elva Barr have, like, like 
backstories. Like they have friends, they have social circles. Elva Barr is a woman who works at a uh, like a beauty parlor. She li- mm-hmm. she has an apartment. We see her like go to sleep and wake up. She doesn't like live in a hideout. She has an apartment. Um, Marguerite Tone is kind of this like a, a society person. Um, yeah, she has a home. She invites people to a, to to a uh, a scavenger hunt that she has them do as a cover to allow her thugs to go into home saying like oh this is part of the scavenger hunt that marguerite tone said was gonna be thing they're like oh it's for marguerite of course like she has like a well-established cover so i it's clearly the same character because batman recognizes her between each sequence and and even in the previous volumes in in uh one and two he does recognize her going like that's the Catwoman." um she doesn't look like she's drawn any differently either. She still looks like Catwoman. She still has the black hair. It's what's I going on. I feel like in the second one she had brown hair in in volume eight. But one way or another, like it it looked close enough that it would probably be artistic differences in drawing rather than intentionally yeah. like well, oh li- this is a different. Look. Yeah. Well, Linda Page has has swapped hair color. She's went from mm-hmm. a redhead to a blonde, and I thought that was strange. I forgot about uh, that. It was, it's completely unnecessary but <laughs> i i like to think that these are, are are aliases that selena kyle has built up because again dr internet isn't going to lie to you the first appearance of catwoman is of course batman number one that is not a lie however the first appearance of selena kyle we have not seen yet mm-hmm. so i'm going to say that boo dc wiki whoever is managing you 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 did not do that correctly they also do not list her other names they just say selena kyle i'm like you should at least have these others on there yeah because if you it, know it that feels she... like it would be a uh first appearance uh as catwoman slash the name cat, and then you know. under own and then later like have first appearance under own name of selena right Kyle. You, could, you could say like alias marguerite tone yep. elva bar yeah. like that i would be fine with that i'd be like oh that's cool yeah i'm 100 down with the idea of it being aliases yeah so i just i think that adds to the character a little bit in my opinion even though i'm sure that's not what's going on i'm sure these two <laughs> guys like jack schiff and bill finger just didn't sync up and they just wrote a name in um and we have what we have but i like I like giving them more credit than I think that is due to them and saying, like, ooh, they came up with aliases, and that's a cooler story. Um, so that's it, I guess, for summary for me as well. We kind of talked a little bit about, um, like, the evolution of, of how Batman and Robin kind of, like, have their have the new Arctic gear. They've got, like, we see what the, the bat tunnel looks like. And um, I will also say that, that Robin is starting to play a much larger role in all of the schemes, he is very decidedly like Batman's backup plan. If he gets in trouble, he is consistently relying on Robin or Robin is sent to do a thing. Like they split up and he he trusts him to do stuff, which I think is really mm-hmm. cool. And I think that's just more of an evolution. We are, of course, seeing more Bruce Wayne as a father figure to Dick. It's not so paternal that it's obvious. There is definitely the coding there mm-hmm. that they're gay which was a huge argument against batman and robin during the mccarthyism era is that they that they promoted a gay relationship um specifically i think the huge argument is batman never gets married and he hangs out with a young boy at the time now mind you that's 1930s terribly stereotypical ideas of what gay people are that's completely not right it's a stereotype and it's homophobic I'm not saying that's correct, but I do see how 
homophobic 1930s narrow-minded who don't know much about gay sexuality people would see in batman and robin going like look at this guy who's rich and is cool and also isn't getting married and is hanging out with a little boy all the time i could definitely see some stupid guy who doesn't know anything seeing that and making that argument yeah it's it's not that it's understandable it's that i understand with their list of preconceptions yes how they look at that and be like oh they're gay i'm about to say something that's horribly wrong right and and there's nothing that says batman can't live with robin and also date women there's nothing wrong with it i think the the weirdest thing i've seen is batman spanking robin um on his birthday and also um i think they both have their beds in the same room I think that might be the case in one story. In one story, yeah. I, you do see that, and I think that's entirely inappropriate for someone who's not your child. Yeah, um, no, that's... No, one way or another, that... Yeah. One way or another, it's weird. But no, it is, there, it are, is there are situations where it makes sense, like, hey, there's literally no other space, or, hey, we're traveling in a hotel, but... Right, yeah, but you live like, in a big-ass house. You, you have multiple rooms. Give, give, give the kid his own room. Um, so, and again, it's not all the time. I just remember seeing that in one of these stories where Robin yeah. and Batman are like waking up next to each other. I'm like, what are you, Finn and Jake? Like, <laughs> what's going on here? Yeah, um, it, it, that seems like the kind of thing where it's like, well, the writer wanted to have the two characters be able to talk in this scene. Well, they're waking up. All as right. opposed to having like Batman walk in on Robin, you know, early morning and draw him in a robe. Just, like, just put him in the same panel. Like, I'm sure it was a necessity thing, but with the preconceived notions of that time period yes i could see people going like mm, that's yep. weird and shameful and i i don't get it but i understand where those arguments were coming from with with their mentality like and and to to the other characters credit who are not married to their significant other they're also not hanging around with a little boy true <laughs> just that's the only differentiating factor here is that batman's the only one hanging around a little boy and not getting married if he if robin wasn't there they probably wouldn't have said anything and i think that's the only weird thing is that robin being there makes them think that something's weird and it doesn't at all there's no yeah. there's no reason to think that um it's a weird relationship that they have he he does things with him like spanking one spanking's not good two I would never spank a kid who isn't my own flesh and blood. If I, if I ever had to spank a child, I don't think I'd spank someone else's kid. That seems weird to me. That seems like even if he is your ward, you treat him not like a child a lot. You treat him like an equal. That's also true. And yeah. you, and it seems strange to spank someone that you treat as an equal. That's very clearly putting into a a, a dynamic. Except for in certain uh, consented uh, circumstances. Uh, yeah, I mean that it, have no place yeah. for a child yeah then we're then we're also getting into weird shit because what the 1930s were confusing gayness with or uh gay sexuality is pedophilia yeah that's what they're calling it so it's very interesting to see knowing what i do now now about that era in history with regards to comics i don't know you, you've got notes i've got and notes and spreadsheets i've got and notes for days Dope, uh, spreadsheets it. are gonna wait until uh like a more wrap-up issue or episode god i went in the wrong direction we're, it's fine we're, we're both <laughs> fucked up now we both i think we're null at this point because if we both screw up in the same episode then we we don't do anything excellent yes uh all right serious or not serious or kind of serious i think after that conversation about pedophilia we should just go to the not serious <laughs> <laughs> i think we just just skip right off okay. and kind of lighten the mood a bit because we got a little weird there yeah. for a second remember 
don't be homophobic. Like, yeah. seriously, take take this opportunity to learn about ways that you can be more welcoming to people of all manner of different groups in yeah. your life. Don't. Batman's not a pedophile. Yep. Uh, interesting fact. Hmm. So, at one point in Volume 8, we do see, like, those, those big spherical, like, uh, natural gas containers. Mm-hmm. So I never understood why they were that shape. It was right. always like, what's up the, with the this? The big, like, Epcot dome things? Kind of that. Yeah. No, but I know what you're but talking yeah, about. But yeah, yeah. Uh, you see them on the 5 when you drive down to San Diego. Yeah. Uh, so that is because... So the reason that it's in a sphere is because in a sphere, the pressure from the gas trying to expand outward is applied equally across the whole surface area, unlike other shapes that right. have points where it's greater or lesser. And what's more interesting is apparently that same logic is why we have like spray paint with that those uh, those cans have that concave like hemisphere in the bottom hmm. because you, even if it's cheaper to make a cylinder than it is to make like a perfect sphere and honestly it's easier to carry around Probably. you still <laughs> want you still want a sphere shape as much as possible so you have that like cutout. Interesting. Yeah. So I don't know the science well enough to be sure that I understood all that correctly, but. That's my understanding there. Yeah, there's a, some Nazi spies who try to destroy a, a natural gas supply that the Americans have, and Batman and Robin stop them, and the gas containers are big, just half-dome, circular things. Mm, full. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're not full spheres, because the bottoms are into the ground. So my suspicion is that they're elevated. A, oh, okay. uh, elevated or dug out so that you actually do have a sphere shape. That would be my guess, because otherwise it. it ruins the purpose. Got it. But I don't know that for sure. Uh, also, go. Also... Swastika chandelier. There is a swastika chandelier. And it's like... Swastelier. Yeah, it's like if you took all the lights from an old school cabaret mirror where it's the <laughs> glaring lights all in a row, yeah. just the bulbs with no cover. So, yeah, like that, except yeah. on a swastika. So and weird. So seriously, like, fuck Nazis, but also fuck that chandelier. So weird. Also so... fuck Nazis. Yeah. I mean, that goes without saying almost. Well, you, you, shouldn't, have, you shouldn't have to say it, but yeah. It, <laughs> if it took us telling you that Nazism is bad for you to believe, well, I'm glad welcome you learned to, a thing. Welcome to the fold. Um, yeah. <laughs> Nazis are bad, uh, and fascism is not cool. All right, uh, time for some seriousness. Now that we had a couple little moments of entertainment, so I have two chunks of history that are interesting. All right, uh, and then I have more like entertaining things that will that I can probably close out on. Cool. Uh, so first off. We talked about the Joker being uh, going straight for a little while. Yeah. So the reason that that's and so that's S- side sidebar. I don't like the term going straight anymore. Yeah. It weirds no, me I out. Hear you. The the idea of straight as normal versus uh, uh, crooked. As well, they say cro- crooked because straight like crooked. versus crooked rather than straight versus gay or bi. Yeah, I don't but, know. It just weirds yeah, me out. Like the, the more I use that term. Yeah, it's metaphors and symbolism are weird and interesting things and they do have connotations like yeah absolutely anyway just, uh, just a sidebar yeah, no it's, it's a very valid one <laughs> I, I purposely did not say it uh i think during my summary I, even though i have it in my notes i purposely avoided using that but since you brought it up i just mm-hmm. before we yeah. yeah entirely reasonable uh so there's a particular part where the joker is executed and then <laughs> doesn't die <laughs> and comes back and it's like hey i mean you can't arrest me because it would be double jeopardy it's you the, can't be tried for the same crime twice the, the baroness von gunther defense 
The what? It's the Baroness oh, yeah, Von yeah, Gump yeah, yeah, defense. Yeah. I'm going to call it that from now on. <laughs> well, there's actually more to that than that. Okay, so this is going to start off as entertaining and then get depressing again, because oh, that's how this episode goes. Correct. Uh, that actually happened. <laughs> and it was... So it was tested in the U.S. court system and ultimately rejected. Mm. So, uh, there was an instance where someone was uh, attempted to be executed, and for whatever reason, I think the electric chair didn't work fully. Like, there huh. may have... I don't even remember if there was actually a cessation of, like life functions but one way or another like they threw a switch and it did not work uh the guy was still alive after and put in a plea to uh hey like you can't you can't try me for the same thing twice you can't execute me for the same thing twice from the majority opinion when an accident with no suggestion of malevolence prevents the consummation of a sentence the state's subsequent course in the administration of its criminal law is not affected on that account by any requirement of due process under the 14th Amendment. Uh, we find no double jeopardy here, which can be said to amount to a denial of federal due process in the proposed execution. So they did actually execute him. My belief is that there they're referring to the 14th Amendment because that's the rule against double jeopardy and especially cruel and unusual punishment. Yeah. Uh, or rather, it's equal application of the, uh, of the Constitution to people uh, and the rule against double jeopardy and cruel and unusual punishment are both enshrined in the Constitution. Which brings to the next bit of depression and downwardness, uh, because that that whole situation is kind of funny, like, in a sense, except 14th Amendment, this was an 18-year-old black man being executed after having a court-provided defense attorney, attorney provide no defense and being convicted by an all-white jury after an electric chair failed to kill him the first time. Hmm. So that's shitty. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which actually leads really well into the next bit that I have that is similarly not, it's not well, how about that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there's a line in volume six and it's the closing little like uh, <laughs> little stinger at the end of an issue. Hmm. Uh, Bruce says justice may be blindfolded, but she isn't blind. Now, huh. so this is interesting because on the one hand, this reads like idiocy because the whole point of a blindfold is that it simulates the state of being blind. And also, I am not inclined, I'm sorry, Bill Finger, but I understand you were overworked at that point and I'm not inclined to give you credit for writing intelligently if there's an explanation that is, that's just idiocy. Yeah. Also, uh, Justice's blindness or lack thereof doesn't actually play into the end of the story. Because the guy was being framed, it wasn't like there was evidence in front of everybody that was like Justice was being blind to. It's just Batman shows up and Batman sends in a package and Bat comes out and there's a note that says, by the way, I got a confession from this guy. Uh, the police can attest to it. This guy who's on trial didn't do it. Hmm. So it's not like blindness or not blindness really yeah. plays in. It was just misinformation. Yep. So the line sounds like Bruce is just being stupid. However... I did some research. First, let's talk about the history of the blindfold uh, on the statue of Lady Justice. You all know the one, uh, blindfold, scales in one hand, sword in the other. Uh, and for whatever reason, the scales are actually like at an angle instead of like being they're, perfect they're level. Yeah, they're balance. Yeah, it's, it's odd. Uh, the blindfold was actually introduced pretty late in the game, at least for sculptures. It was only in the 16th century. 
and I mean this vision of Lady Justice goes back to Roman times and even then it was a while before like the blindfold became commonplace even some modern representations don't include the blindfold uh, I saw one argument that Justice being represented as a maiden was already a representation of, impar uh, of impartiality since maiden equals virgin equals innocent and unbiased second Let's talk about the idea of blindness around justice. And here I'm going to refer to the book Representing Justice, Invention, Controversy, and Rights in City-States and Democratic Courtrooms. Because <laughs> Google Books does a really... <laughs> You'd be amazed how much information and how many pages of a book you can get from Google's like book preview. <laughs> uh, so I skimmed a small part of that and probably won't do justice of it, to it, uh, plus a few of my own musings. Right now, blindness is a whole lot less of a problem than it used to be. Uh, I'm going to take a leap here, and I'm going to call it, at least in the public consciousness, the public perception, an interesting disability. Now, obviously that's usually reductionist uh, and problematic, but I do think that's kind of how blindness is viewed right now. Uh, take Matt Murdock, or Shrike from the Butcher Bird series, or the blind woman who dated the thing for a while. Yeah. <laughs> uh, call me out if I'm out of line, but I think American pop culture associates blindness with either wisdom or a bit of exotic separateness. Like, they have some knowledge. Like, they see a different world than we do. Uh, they appreciate the thing, regardless of his appearance. Stuff like that. Early on, the blindfold would have been a liability for justice because the important thing for a judge was to see everything. Blindness was both a huge physical liability back in the day and it was seen as a major learning issue because if you couldn't see, you couldn't observe, and without braille, you can't. There, it's a lot harder to communicate information. So blindness became this. It was actually a learning disability in a lot of ways, and yeah. it makes sense. Like it's <laughs> hard to, it's hard to have them the amount of information. Plus, uh, the goal of a judge was to mirror the divine and be all seeing rather than to have, like, the, the goal of the judge being to sort through all the information available. Blindfolds were associated very directly with blindness and all that entailed, rather than the blindfold being temporary blindness in the name of impartiality. It wasn't something that was just kind of put on. Uh, it was only when we started entering the era of a ton of trials with tons of possible information, when urbanization really cranked into gear and people were living around a bunch of other people, uh, that the emphasis on impartiality rather than knowing everything came around as like the ideal for a judge. And here's where I bring it back to Bruce's line. So yes, in this instance, saying that justice isn't blind is a little weak because it's not like justice wouldn't have seen that this guy was framed. This wasn't an instance where laws and processes were getting in the way of justice. In other circumstances though, that's exactly the idea that's kicked around when discussing justice and justice being blind, the idea that impartially applying laws misses the greater context and the greater justice. This whole thing is about me talking about symbology and the way that representations of Lady Justice differ to bring out different things. And here's where we get into that next bit. So if you've been following the news in the past few years, you know that police killings of people of color have repeatedly been deemed legal going through the full investigation and grand jury process, and turns out, yes, this was a totally legal use of force. Uh, at one time, I did some research into the rules around justifiable use of lethal force by police, and it, at least in the jurisdictions that I read up on, 
it's really unsettling how little is needed to make it legal use of force. I think it was like not even a reasonable group of people would think this was a threat. It was I, as a police officer, felt threatened. That's it. No reasonable cause. So blindly, impartially applying the law has been uh, held up by some black activists as reinforcing racist systems. Uh, some of those activists include the, uh, the Judicial Council of the National Bar Association, which took as its pledge, uh, when it, I believe when it formed, let us remove the blindfold from the eyes of American justice. Too long has it obscured the unequal treatment accorded poor people and black people under the law. And that's the story of how I started at a dumb line from a comic and ended up at an awesome picture of a black lady justice lifting a blindfold from her eyes. Hmm. So, like we said, and actually this was the perfect segue into it, uh, symbolism and metaphors absolutely do matter because that's how we conceive of these ideals. Correct. Now for something more entertaining. And actually, this one is adorable. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's do a little pile cleanser here. Right. Uh, so, Dan Cupid... We did see that name in there. Uh, it's a name that gets thrown around occasionally. It was mentioned in Shakespeare's Love's Labor's Lost, presumably because Dan was originally an honorific like Don. I think that's the case. I'm not really clear. Uh, either way, like Dan Cupid gets used occasionally now, including in the remailed Valentine's letters from Loveland, Colorado. Nice. Hundreds of thousands of people send Valentine's Day cards to Loveland, where the post office sends them off to their final destination, bearing the postmark, Loveland, plus a stamp of Dan Cupid, a little character, and a little poem. Huh. Uh, for reference, for those of you who didn't read these with us, Dan <laughs> Cupid is referred uh, is referenced when Batman is possibly in love with Catwoman. This is Elva Barr Catwoman, um, when she's running her beauty salon racket. And he tries to get engaged to her on the off chance that being involved with someone like Bruce Wayne will make her become a law-abiding citizen, which causes problems between him and Linda Page. Yeah. Um, and the narrator says something about Dan Cupid has struck Bruce Wayne and possibly he really is interested in Elva Barr. And speaking of that, isn't it... I mean, that whole, that whole situation is a little messed up because he actually tells Catwoman who he thinks is Linda Page, because yeah. Catwoman is uh, in, in disguise, disguise. Yeah. Uh, that don't worry, the engagement is just going to be for a little while. So he's either lying to Catwoman that, no, we're actually going to be engaged and get married and we'll be happy and you'll go straight, or he's lying to Linda Page that right. the, it's going to be a short engagement. Because he, he tells Linda that Batman asked him to do this favor. Mm -hmm. And Catwoman is dressed like Linda Page because she's like, maybe Bruce doesn't really love me. Maybe I'll talk to, maybe I'll dress up like Linda and get his real opinions on the matter. And if he tells Linda that he loves me, then he really does love me. And, of course, he tells whom he believes Linda, no, I'm doing this as a favor to Batman, baby. I still love you. Good Bruce Wayne. It's it's a weird bit. It's a weird bit. <laughs> Such a douche. Also, page 141 on volume 8. Why does Commissioner Gordon work under a giant portrait of Commissioner Gordon? Why wouldn't you? He's that good looking. It's a big old pit portrait. He like, that might be like six feet wide. Maybe Commissioner even Gordon eight. looks like old Cary Grant mustache sporting George Clooney. Ooh, yeah. And All if right. I looked that good, I'd have a giant <laughs> picture of myself above my desk too. Like, 
I I saw that too, and I was like, "You douche, commissioner!" But then I was like, "You know what, though? He's a good-looking dude. <laughs> like, he deserves it. Good for you, Jim Gordon." I am going to give the writing team credit for something, though, and I don't think this was Bill Finger. I forget who it was. Good evening, Penguin. What's crooking? Uh, I I that one made me laugh. I was happy with that. That was good. That was a good one. Oh God. So that's what I've got in terms of notes stuff. Uh, do you have any recommendations? Um, yeah. Um, I didn't read this recently, but this is a good this is a good recommendation. Atomic Robo. Nice. I was looking through my comics and I, I, I recognized that I had five volumes of Atomic Robo. I don't have all of them, but I need more. Atomic Robo is just a, a really great comic. If you're looking for Hellboy without the gothic and more science than magic, it's Atomic Robo. It doesn't take itself too seriously. It is a perfect comic for teens, uh, teens and young adults. It's a little heavy in the science jargon. Um, it might not be good for kids because it might be a little hard to follow because they throw some weird concepts. I have to Google some of the stuff they talk about. <laughs> Let's put it that way. But it's not like all about that so much as they talk about things like that. And you're just like, what are they talking about? It's so fun, though. It's so fun, and the art is great, and it's a lighthearted comic, and... It has genuine moments of heart in it, and there's also just so many fun little science gags that they pull. Honestly, if you're looking for a new comic that isn't that isn't part of the big two, that is also enjoyable, that you could give to your kids or you could give to your friends, Atomic Robo is definitely that comic. And they've started doing a webcomic version, haven't they? Probably. I don't, I don't doubt it. I feel like they bounced from, like, Brian Clevenger doing webcomics back in the day. Ape the Theater was, I think think my very first webcomic actually yeah uh which makes me old uh bounced from there into print comics and then back yeah i think i would be surprised if atomic robo at one point was a webcomic before it even became a print comic mm. um, just, just to see if he could do it um but i think it actually was not yeah. that uh, but, i'm tr i'm flashing back and trying to remember but yeah. well, one way or another very enjoyable atomic robo is a good comic you should all pick that up and i'm gonna recommend Actually, this was one of Koi's recommendations, and mm. I've sort of been keeping up with it. Deadpool uh, and Spider-Man, or I guess it might be Spider-Man and Deadpool, I don't remember which. Uh, it's really actually pretty good. Like, well-written, funny, but also, I don't know how well it fits in, like, character arc-wise with any of the other stories that are going on. But, like, at least within this series... They're not afraid to... The writers really do take both Deadpool and Spider-Man, like, through the ringer into positive directions. Like, it's kind of adorable that you have Deadpool, like, idolizing the hell out of Spider-Man on the one hand. But it's also, like, Spider-Man becomes, like, the reason that he goes to the good side more and more. And Spider-Man goes through shit in this comic that makes him darker and darker. So it's... I, I have no idea, like, how well... You couldn't slot it in as, like, it happens at this spot in Amazing Spider-Man. Like, that's when all of this is happening. But in terms of, like, enjoyable character arcs within the story, it works. Hmm. In addition to, it actually is really funny. They kind of just meet each other in the middle and they balance each other out. Well, I mean, we'll see. Like, I mean still developing. Yeah. And I'm also months and months behind because Marvel Unlimited... Yes. Uh, speaking of Koi, watch movie fights, watch Schmodowns. They're fun. Good stuff. Good good, good little brain exercises of like pitching comics and talking about stuff and realizing that you know 
literally nothing compared to some of these people. <laughs> and it's just fun, and, be, and it's uh, it's an entertaining experience watching people argue about things that don't matter. As opposed to listening to the two of us argue about things that don't matter. Even though you probably like us more. We hope. You do. <laughs> I know you do. You're still listening. <laughs> it's bottom line. Um, yeah, that'll do it for us for this episode. We're going to do one more of Batman, and then we're going to do Aquaman, because I got that ordered, and that's coming. Nice. I'm stoked about that. Then we're going to do some <laughs> little uh, comics history, some timeline stuff, and then we're going to start moving into the Silver Age for y'all. We appreciate you all coming on this journey through the Golden Age with us. We're having a blast doing it. We're just we're going to keep going. I think it's going to get even meatier when we get to the Silver Age. We're going to have to actually start you know, keeping track of continuity because mm-hmm. um, there will be continuity. But we will come back to the Golden Age because we did find that it is avail- like more of it is available to us than we thought. And it'll be fun to do that because, you know, I want to see what happens to Batman, you know, between the 40s and the 50s and the 60s because mm-hmm. that's important. We might also start doing some video stuff, streaming with Matt and I, watching some stuff and maybe watching some stuff with you guys where, you know, this Twitch stream will be us watching a movie that you guys can, you know, watch along with us and maybe we'll talk about it. I'm thinking maybe the first one we should watch is some of the old Batman movies like Batman, the first one with like Jack Nicholson. I'm done. Been a while since I saw that. Or Batman 66. The movie in the 60s with uh, Adam West and Burt Ward. I'm Just because it'll be probably closer to what we're actually going to be reading. Yeah. Just to see what that would be like. I don't know. I'm on the fence. <sighs> we'll play it by ear. But Matt does have to finish the Batman Telltale series because the I second do. game came out recently. And I mm. need to play that, but I don't want to play it without <laughs> him. Because I want to play that together now that we know that it's out. And uh, for those of you who haven't played that one, it would be good to watch that game being played again so maybe we'll do that and we gotta connect so we're gonna be streaming face stuff mm-hmm. so you get to see our faces I'm sorry and uh, we'll go from there excellent have a good rest of your day we love you all and we will talk to you next time DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes to stay in the know check out our Facebook Twitter Instagram and DCDetectivesPodcast.com Gordon gave us the address and off we went. At this point, we had no trouble navigating Gotham, because this was the same city we'd grown up reading about, with all the streets and supervillains we were used to, even if one of them couldn't decide on a secret identity. But something was still missing. Someone, actually. Someone who would complete the core of the Bat family. Before we could leave the Golden Age, there was one more resident of Wayne Manor who we'd have to meet.